Hey everybody, this is Father Chris coming at you from Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. I'm here with Father Josh Gruder and some other folks here in the studio bringing you our uh, session six of the Screwtape Letters. Today we're going to be looking at uh, letters 21, 22, and 23, and we're following the same format as last week, which was essentially this. We are going to sit here and have a conversation and uh, uh, work our way through these letters and also remind you to invite you to participate in the discussion during the presentation today. If you would like to do that, if you'd like to present a question or a comment or a funny joke or you can't comment on my socks this week because I wore <laughs> black socks, uh, but if you would like to uh, make a comment this week, you can do so with the uh, mobile phone number which is listed on the website there that will go right to Father Gritter's cell phone and he can read the comment aloud or you can comment on the Facebook page and we'll be checking that. Alex in the back I think will be checking that and if there's any questions we will be uh, bringing those, uh, any questions or comments, bringing those to you as they come in. So before we uh, start the study, let us pray. Lord God, we thank you again for this day and for bringing us here together uh, virtually and in situ, uh, in person. We thank you for the privilege of uh, studying this book. We thank you for C.S. Lewis and his mind and just his insight and his coming from atheism to Christianity. Uh, we pray that you would uh, use this book to help us to grow in our own faith, to wrestle with questions which we wrestle with, to see the world from a different perspective and to see it most importantly through the lens and the faith of believing in your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, we are going to start off with letter 21, mm -hmm. and uh, what I'm going to do is uh, there is a, a, a document on the website up in the upper right-hand corner, which is I'm going to read from right now, just to give you sort of an overview of letter number 21, and then we'll go ahead and make, have some discussion and uh, take any questions and have a little bit of a debate here, if you'd like. So anyway, in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, letter number 21, Screwtape reminds Wormwood that people are, are angered, uh, not angered merely by misfortune, by things that go wrong, but by mis misfortune that is conceived as injury. In other words, when things go wrong, if it's a mistake that happens to you, something goes wrong in your life, people pretty much blow it off, right? Sure. They don't get too upset. But if you think someone has wronged you, either intentionally or through neglect, uh, that's where people get frustrated. Like today, driving to work, when that person at the intersection at the hospital and any river boulevard almost cut me off but that's another matter <laughs> that doesn't bother you <laughs> that doesn't bother me uh in other words, in other words if a person can be convinced that suffering is intentional and deliberate it'll create a sense of frustration and anger patients that is human beings that are being tempted by demons are to be continually tempted to believe that wrongs visited on them are intentional and thereby create straight strife and anger in the human heart this can even be used with great effect on a person's time. I thought this was a really great comment. We talked about this earlier. Mm -hmm. This can be used with great effect on a person's time as if that time somehow belonged to the, the person himself. Indeed, humans are to be encouraged to have claims of ownership. This is a quote from the book. Humans are encouraged to have, quote, claims of ownership which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell, and we must keep them doing so. So it's an interesting letter. I like letter 21 a lot, and I think the reason I do is because it reminds me of the, uh, my, own, the, my own heart, right? And how we are so easily, we're so easy to misconstrue what other people say in a negative way, but, but God forbid they construe our comments negatively. Because I mean, right? I and always mean the best, right? That's right. We're always yeah. well-intentioned. It's always somebody else's problem. Yeah. Um, and also, I think, too, the more 
claims people make on your own life and on your own time, sometimes the more frustrated we get, you know? We've all been there, but we had a plan, you know, I was gonna sit down and read a book or go to a movie with a friend of mine, with my wife, or do something, and next thing you know, you are interrupted by a phone call or a pastoral emergency. This happened to me just a few days ago. Um, somebody called and said, uh, somebody's in, uh, needs last rites up in Sebastian Hospital, so I had to drop everything and go, which I did, and I'm used to that, and doesn't, you know, affect me one way or the other. But when these things come into our lives where they, they, they knock our schedule off kilter, we, we get frustrated sometimes, don't we? And, and it's interesting if you think about it, as a Christian, why would you do that? Because quite frankly, all time is from the Lord, right? Every waking moment we have is quite frankly a gift. I mean, I could stroke out just any moment. Hopefully I won't, but I mean, it's possible, right? Life, yeah. is the, life is a continual gift, and it's given to you every morning you wake up. Every morning I wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for this day. You know, give me my marching orders and you know, keep me on the right path. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we own our own time, our own things, rather than being reminded that they all belong to the Lord. And not only do they belong to the Lord, they're given to us for one reason and one reason only, and that is to serve Him. Right? So what's, what's interesting, you yeah. talk about that, because one of the first things that I picked up on this chapter was, um, mm. uh, you know, it, it, it's funny, right? Because C.S. Lewis always drops these little, little things and then moves right along, which right. is why it takes us so long to unpack what he says. Of course. But right at the beginning of chapter 21, um, Screwtape is talking, you know, is trying to give him advice on how to attack the patient. And he says, it may, you know, talking about the the attack he's laying out, it may even be the main attack, so long as he thinks is the subordinate one. And it's this idea of a two-pronged kind of attack. So what you're talking about, somebody cutting off in traffic or making you frustrated, you know, you think they're the problem and that's the issue. Right. But, you know, the, the attack is a lot more subtle than that. It's a lot, you know, it's aimed at your heart. And so I think that there's, there's a lot of sins that, you know, we're aware of and we're actively battling, but there's that sin underneath, I think, that is, is really kind of, might be the main front. Yeah, it's pretty much always pride. Yeah, it's always pride, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and, and In some form. Yeah, yeah, pride's always the basis of all of it because it's about us, which I think is right. a big part of what this chapter and most of the book's about. But, you know, we have things that are, um, you know, examples would be like anger is really typically caused by fear, right? Mm-hmm. So we try to not be angry. Right. And the answer might be, you know, being more confident or having faith in the Lord and not being as fearful. You know, um, control, right? We think we're too controlling, but that's typically caused by either, what, like a desire to dominate or anxiety. You know, so it's always that kind of two-pronged thing. And I think we're so used to wanting to address the symptom or, you know, the outer surface thing and feel like we fixed the problem and Mm. we're totally missing that second attack. I mean, is that your experience? Yeah, I think so, totally. I think the devil is much more crafty than we are and his attacks, at least in my own heart, and I'm presuming everybody else's, tend to be multi-vectored. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like today, again, driving down the road, I'm coming yeah. into the office, and that intersection at 37th and Indian River Boulevard, many of you know it, it's where the hospital is. It, it, we had an, a member of the parish who was almost killed there not too long ago. Uh, every day without fail, I'm driving along there, and people just pull out in front of you because they want to get in, whatever. And the lady's pulling out, and I said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And sure as shooting, she did. Oh, we've... Right? It happens a lot around here. It yes. uh, yeah, and uh, so anyway. It does. And you know, and why does it make why did it make me frustrated? A, you know, how dare you pull it from me? I'm on the way to work, right? It's, yeah. just, it's just pride. It's not just pride. It's always just pride. Mm-hmm. So, you guys have any comments on any of this? This is it's a good it's a great chapter, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Right. So Marilyn made mm-hmm. the comment that most of the things we, we, that go wrong in our lives 
a fair, a fair amount of it anyway, I would suspect, is kind of the result of our own poor decisions yeah. or good decisions. And, um, but the negative things oftentimes are a result of our own negative decisions. And so maybe we get angry as a way to, I don't know, somehow psychologically defend ourselves against the fact that we've made a mistake, which of course is the whole Christian yeah. gospel is, you know, the, the key word everybody misunderstands, and a lot of people do, is the word repent, which just means stop and come back, mm -hmm. right? Turn around, because you know what? You're gonna blow it, and we all do. And so the question is, you can get angry, but doesn't, that doesn't ever solve the problem. And uh, really the key is repent, which is just, you know, get back on the path and go the right, do the right thing. And so that's a good point, Marilyn. Thank you for that. It is. Yeah, misfortune's often our own fault. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this whole blame thing and misfortune and putting it on people. And you, you were telling me about this probably, probably weeks ago now, mm -hmm. the idea of a fundamental attribution error, mm -hmm. right? That, uh, that principle of, what is it, when you're... When you do some, I might be totally missing this up, so please jump in. Um, but like, you know, when you do something wrong, it's the result of external circumstances. But when somebody else does something wrong, it's because of their character traits. Right. It's That's like who they are. Like, I did this because, you know, I was just in this situation. It's not who I am. But when somebody else does it, it's like, you know, this it's, is who you are. It's because of their character. Yeah. You know, I lied because I was tired and I wasn't thinking, but you lied because you're a liar. It's right. Right? I mean, that's... that's And a filthy animal. And a fi yeah, exactly, because yeah. you're terrible. Because you're a terrible person. Yeah. I mean, not you, but I mean... Well, um, yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> but, but, you know, well, yeah, I that's, 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 that's called the fundamental attribution error. Yeah, that's what... Okay. Yep. Yeah. And in fact, a little segue on that, which is yeah. sort of curious. In, in psychology, you know, I've got a degree in psych and uh, in psychology, and one of the things that, to a degree, a fundamental attribution error is healthy, because what, you dis what they discover in people that are depressed or somehow psychologically... Um, having issues with things, psychological difficulties, oftentimes it's because the person actually blames themselves for their failure and their successes to externals. So it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. If in, it's, This is a total rabbit trail, but, mm -hmm. but I mean, we tend to normally uh, blame other, you know, attribute success to ourselves and failure to somebody else. When you reverse that, that can be equally as problematic because then people say, this is all my fault and no matter what I do, I can't do any better because mm -hmm. only goodness comes from outside. So anyway, mm -hmm. something to think about. Um, so good point. And this is, you know, this is another thought, thing I thought about that because the quote that, we're, that you mentioned, you know, men are not angered by mere misfortune but by misfortune conceived of as injury. Um, as a psychologist, had a, I thought a really good point that, and you know, this is why C.S. Lewis isn't gospel, right? Um, mm -hmm. it, it is, you know, there, I, I think that a lot of people, even if the misfortune doesn't have a face to it, you blame the nature of reality or the nature of being itself. Like the world is not fair. Which is true. Which is true. And, it, and it's a theistic presupposition, right? Yep. Like if you're an atheist, you should never think the world's not fair because you don't believe in somebody's created it or it's chaos, right? It's random. It's chance. And so to say, you know, the world's not fair doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the question presumes God, the existence of God. Yeah, the question presumes a being who so structured the world to be fair or not fair. But it is interesting, right? Because people who experience a lot of real unfairness in their lives, you know, they're, they're born into an abusive household and, um, and things only go downhill from there. Which is common. Which is common. Mm -hmm. They end up taking their revenge on being itself, on the world. You know, like they, right. they try to revenge themselves on everyone and anything that could be around them. Um, and some people postulate, you know, it's kind of like a child throwing a tantrum and trying to break, you know, trying to break everything, um, which again presupposes God. So when we're talking about misfortune and how, you know, how we, we receive it as injury, I think we actually receive most misfortune that way. There's not a lot of things, at least in my own heart, mm -hmm. uh, in my own brokenness, that have happened 
bad to me and I'm just like, well, this is the way it goes. You know, like I'm often angry about whatever mm -hmm. happens, mm -hmm. you know, be it a flat tire or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that for me, in my own heart, when I was about 20, 28, 30, whatever, and I really wrestled with this question of why do bad things happen to good people, right? And that everybody at some point wrestles with that question, I hope. It's uh, the, called the question of theodicy, right? Anyway, but the, the answer to the question, the question presumes the existence of God. Why do bad things happen at all? Right? Yeah. But where do you get good and bad from? You have mm -hmm. to have a God somewhere. Otherwise, it's just chance and it's a nonsensical question. But the, the interesting thing for me was when I, I, I was raised kind of in the church, but not really and never really took it seriously. But then if you really jump into Christianity and look at what it says, which is that the, the world is in fact unfair and broken, mm -hmm. and we call that the fall, and that's another whole thread. But the idea that the world is in fact broken and fallen and sinful, and that there's bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, right? Scripture is completely opaque and I mean, completely transparent about that. The question becomes, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. And Jesus himself even says, you know, one of the, my favorite lines in, in uh, John's gospel, I've preached on this many times at funerals, is when Jesus goes to Lazarus's funeral. And it's interesting, there's a little interesting word in there. He goes and La Lazarus is Jesus's friend. And he goes to the funeral and everybody's you know, upset. Lazarus is a young man, he's died for, for some reason. And it's an interesting word, it says, when Jesus gets there, it says, Jesus wept. It's one word in Greek, kaleio is the word, but in English it's two, Jesus wept. And the word Jesus wept does not mean he's just crying and sobbing because someone has died. The word actually has the nuance, the Greek word has the nuance of anger in it, which is fascinating because what Jesus is doing when he says Jesus wept, Jesus is angry at the suffering visited upon, visited upon us by virtue of the fall. It's pretty interesting. So he's because he's not angry at Lazarus, Lazarus is dead, right? So he's Lazarus, it's a, he's, Jesus is angry at the situation that we collectively and Lazarus individually get ourselves into, which of course is why he winds up Jesus on the cross, dying for us to restore us to God. So mm -hmm. the idea of feeling um, uh, embittered or somehow not treated fairly, I think is true for everybody, every human heart, the question is, how do you deal with that? And yeah. it's, a, it's a biggie. It's a big question. It is because I think you know, the reason we feel misfortune is we feel uh, what's the word? You know, entitled, right? It's right. the things that you, uh, the more like you mentioned earlier, the more claims on life, uh, the more they'll feel injured and is ill-tempered. Ill and I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I was looking at, I was really doing some reflection on this, and there are a lot of there are a lot of things that I put a claim on my rights, right? I love to hold to my. You know, we all love to hold to our rights and then kind of leave our responsibilities aside. But, the, but they go hand in hand with each other. Whatever you, whatever you claim a right to, you have responsibilities equal to, right. equal to the right. Of course. And you know, I mean, there's, you know, some examples would be like, um, some of us feel like we're entitled to have unconditional positive regard from our family members, right? Their love and respect. Like you are, you are to care about me and like me and respect me and love me, period. That's a right that you claim. Really? And it's just like, that, Yeah. I don't think that's, I don't, I don't know if that's true. Who made that up, unconditional positive regard? Who is that? A famous psychologist. Was it... Was it uh, Maybe P.M. Melody? Does that make sense? No, 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 it wasn't Piaget. Um, P.M. Melody did work in um, uh, codependence, I think. Um, but there, there's an expectation in that relationship of like, yep. you know, like, you will care for me. Yeah. Uh, time, as you discussed earlier, right? Like, we feel like our time is our own. C.S. Lewis goes into that, right? Mm -hmm. He must therefore zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption, my time is my own. Let him have the feeling that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. 
I mean, that's that's kind of all of us, right? It Anything, is, any certainly me. Yeah, any interruption. It's you mm -hmm. know. So anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. Carl Rogers. Was it? Carl Rogers was the unconditional positive regard guy. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rogerian just sitting there and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a great job. I bet he got mad. People interrupted him when he was trying to think through all this. Yeah. That's, probably, so? that's probably true. Yeah, Carl Rogers. Oh, man. Any, any uh, questions from out in the studio? Peanut Gallery. Peanut Gallery. Yeah, Marilyn makes the point. Marilyn makes the point that we oftentimes blame people and feel insulted by people trying to help us mm. and rather than seeing them as being sincere and genuine. Is that a good way to paraphrase that? And hopefully you can make that piece before the person Sometimes. dies. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can. Mm -hmm. It hangs. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. indeed. So, I mean, Ooh, my, uh, my microphone fell off here. Oh. Um, so you Sorry about that. You mentioned, um, or I guess we were kind of asking, like, how do you avoid this feeling of entitlement? Like, how do you avoid claiming all of these things as your own? You know, we have these conversations in stewardship. I've never talked about stewardship issues, right? The idea between ownership and stewardship. Right. Um, you know, I guess, what are some ways do you think that we can try to not hold on to everything or be it, feel like we're entitled or have the rights to all of it. I think the, you know, Job, Job has a famous quote and everyone knows it and it's, it's a great one because I think it's a good reminder for us. When Job is in the middle of suffering, right, he's, Job's a guy of great wealth, power, influence, and it's all taken away in, in a very short amount of time. And, the, and Job's, Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I've always wondered what that meant exactly. And I think what it means um, is that no matter what happens, if you see it as God is in control, and they're all gifts from him anyway, you can have him and enjoy these gifts and be like, man, this is really awesome, right? You know? All and is a gift. All is a gift. And if it's gone, okay, well, mm -hmm. I enjoyed it when it was there, but the Lord is still in control. The Lord is good. Mm -hmm. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I think that's the key, right? It's just remember that everything you have is a gift, and therefore being angry that that gift is no longer provided is harder to maintain consistently. Yeah, the, the Lord has given us things to be steward over, but he's never given up his ownership, right? He's never walked away from his ownership. What was it Psalm, Psalm 24, 1? Um, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, mm -hmm. the world and they that dwell therein. I mean, that's, that's pretty much pretty it. inclusive. I'm thinking <laughs> that's, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much everything yeah, I can think of. Not my little corner of whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and then there's also the point of, you know, so, so when we're talking about guarding our, even our family, our possessions, or our time, I mean, Jesus was interrupted all the time. All right? the time. He was always, you know, it always seemed like he was going someplace, and he was pulled aside for some healing or some conversation or something like that, but, you know, he never expressed frustration uh, or anger or resentment because of it, because, you know, his time was God's. Like, whatever his mission was, was from the, was the Lord's mission, right? I mean, so, mm -hmm. um, anyway. He's always the right, he's always the example. Yeah. All right, let's move along to letter number 22. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is where <laughs> Marilyn and I, and I were talking about this earlier. Screwtape, this is my, back to my notes here if you want to read them on the uh, website or uh, in a handout there. Uh, Screwtape, screw tape, I can't say that today for some reason. Screwtape notes that Wormwood's patient has fallen in love with a woman, and not just a woman, but a Christian woman, a quote, I love this, vile, sneaking, simpering, demure, bread and butter miss. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. The traits, and I, this is my words, the traits of well-mannered and attractive humans are utterly contemptible by hell's standards. Screwtape points out that most pleasures of this world are of no real use to hell unless they become perverted. I want to talk about that. 
Hell has no ability to make pleasant things, only to pervert the good things that the Lord has already created. That's a really important thing to get your mind around. Screwtape points out that the woman's entire household, even the dog, reeks of that deadly odor of heaven. (laughs) No comments about smelly dogs. Music and silence, how I detest them both, Screwtape exclaims. So what do you make of this chapter, Father Gritter? Uh, golly, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot in here. There's a lot to it. Uh, as far as the romantic intre- interest and in, in how, how she's described, you know, I was, I, I was giving some thought about how do we, what are our cultural ideal traits in a person and what are we really pulling for? We talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago. And so uh, it was interesting, right, because um, I forgot who said it, but somebody said, a mark of maturity, and you can think of it as Christian maturity, right? Mm-hmm. Because that gives you the strength to, um, to be mature and, and wise, is to, um, the, the mark of maturity is you have tough skin and a soft heart versus having thin skin and a hard heart. Hmm. And, you know, you see somebody who's able to, you know, obviously the patient's um, romantic interest is somebody who is loving and sweet and kind and generous, but <clears throat> also tough as nails, Right, I mean, to go into the arena, right, with a, with a smile on her face, and you know, like that's yeah, you you got to be tough as nails. So I think that would at least somebody said that to me a long time ago, and that's a helpful way for me to think of transitions into even spiritual maturity, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, yes, yeah, Chuck Swindoll, who's a preacher, and I like Chuck Swindoll very much. Actually, I used to listen to him when I used to run around, go jogging up in New Jersey when I was a rector at Trinity uh, Red Bank, and he had a great quote. He said that a pastor's job is to have a tender heart. To be a pastor, you've got to have a tender heart and a tough hide. Hmm. Yeah. Good comment. Yeah, that is a good comment. You know, one thing which, uh, to come back to the, uh, the description of this Christian woman here, I love that, it just, just occurred to me. Um, if you look at the words he uses, um, not, o- not, not only a Christian, but such a Christian. This is in paragraph two. A vile, sneaking, simpering, demure, monosyllabic, mouse-like, watery, insignificant, virginal, bread and butter miss. You know what he's describing there? He's describing hell's perspective of humility. Because he sees it as weakness, right? Simpering, sneaking, vile, demure, mouse-like. He, he sees, screw tape, sees humility uh, as weakness, right? And sneakiness, kind of like Frederick Nietzsche did, right? Actually, quite frankly. And, you know, and, that, and again, to come back to, we've been talking about this the whole time, screw tape's ideas, right? Power and the application of power. It's all got to be about consumption of the other. And so humility to a demon or to most people makes no sense. And so when, when Screwtape goes through all these descriptions of this woman in such sort of really combative terms, insulting to hateful terms, but, it's, but they're all descriptions of, descriptors of humility from a person who is completely and utterly consumed by pride, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. But he gives himself away. But he gives himself away, Screwtape does. Yes. Yeah, that's, and that's a good point. Marilyn says that he gives himself away because he says she is so, he, that's right, she is so vile she would laugh at me. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? And she's right. I love here too, in this one, in paragraph two, he says, we'd, we'd have had her in the arena in the old days, right? Of course, he's talking about the prosecutions of the Christians in Rome in the first century, which were, uh, which were notoriously cruel, mm-hmm. but he's right. That's what they would have done. The demons would have gotten them into, mm-hmm. the Christians into the Colosseum and, you know, burned, tortured, crucified, all those things the Romans like to do. So um, what do you think, Father? you got any comments? You know, I think what you, what you said earlier about the idea of God creating 
the world to be full of pleasures, you know, and that you know, demons can't create pleasurable activities, they just have to twist them to their own purposes. Right. I think that really kind of goes, you know, uh, what it says here, um, I'm going to quote from the text, uh, he, speaking about God, has filled his world full of pleasures. There are things for humans to do all day long without his minding in the least. Yep. Sleeping, washing, eating, drinking, making love, playing, praying, working, right? Everything has to be twisted for it's of any use. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, you know, I really don't often think, there's all different ways we conceive of the world just practically, right? I really don't walk around thinking that everything's a gift. You know, I mean, I don't walk around thinking the world is a gift and it's full of pleasures. I, I, I can think of the world as, um, these are in the questions. I can think of it like a trial, like some days are trials to be endured. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're watching, you're watching the clock, you're watching the sundown, like let me just get through this season, let me get through this week, let me get through this month. Right. Uh, I'll walk around and I'll think it's like a challenge to be overcome or an opportunity, you know, like I better do all this while I can. Um, but not, not, in the, not with a grateful heart of a, of a gift. And uh, John Piper uh, coined this term Christian hedonism in his book in the 80s, I forgot when it was published, Desiring God. And, you know, he summarizes the Christian life as God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, which, you know, Westminster Catechism, right? That right. idea. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just think that it's really, it's really important that we capture that sense of wonderment and awe. You know, I've got, as you know, because I talk about it all the time, those two little guys, and I see, you know, everything is new and exciting and a discovery, like a sandbox or an ant. You know, they'll see right. them crawling and they're like, stare Whoa! at it and call us over and like, and watch its every movement, yeah. you know? And I, and I think that, you know, recapturing that sense of wonder or appreciation, even from adult perspective, is just yeah. a healthy way to see the world as a gift. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I agree that? with you. I mean, one, I have a funny story about that. When Amy, when we were in seminary, Amy was, gosh, probably two, two and a half. And she and I would go walking around because she's that kid had so much energy. And, it was, she's, and uh, it was hilarious. She, she was like that, just so exploratory. And we were walking up the stairs of the library in Ambridge, these great big stone stairs up into the main building, these big columns and everything. And it's just this massive facade, right? Mm-hmm. And she goes, we're coming upstairs, and of course she's only, you know, little, she's kind of, with her legs going up the stairs. She gets to the top, she goes, Daddy, what's that? I, my eyes are up here. I'm like, whoa, look at this. She says, Daddy, what's that? She looks down and, I'm, and she's like on the ground, like right at the ground, there's this little tiny ladybug. <laughs> it was so funny. She's like, look at that. Just kind of fun. It is, I mean, so, it yeah, is, but, but to see the world, you know, that's a good point. I think if you look at Christian history, oftentimes Christians are accused of being prudes or, you know, overly, um, not judgmental, but, you know, don't want to have any fun, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. I mean, there's all sorts of things we can enjoy and we should enjoy just for the mere sake that God gives them to us to be enjoyed, right? I mean, one of the great things about hobbies is you find something which you're not going to make any money. It's not going to make you, uh, get you anything other than you just enjoy it for its own sake. I play the guitar. I love to play the guitar. I'm never going to be a rock star. Um, what's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just enjoy it. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played in rock bands, but not, not in a long time. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, yeah, that's... Enjoying something for its own sake. Enjoying something for its own sake is good. Mm-hmm. So. And then the idea here, I'm gonna, we should talk about this for a second, this idea of, um, of something being twisted before it's any use. There's an old word, we never use it anymore, but it's a word, and the word is perversion, and it sounds, you know, it's got this sort of really negative connotation to it. I guess it has to. But if you think about it, anything which, according to, which is considered immoral, right? and it can be anything, really, is taking something which is good, right, sex, food, you know, whatever, 
and using it in a way not intended for by God, right? Using it in a way which is not the way it's designed to be used. That's what a perversion is. And so, you know, and we all do this. We all, we, you know, eat too much, drink too much, smoke too much, whatever the thing might be. Um, engage in sex outside of marriage in different, all its different forms that people think things happen, whatever it might be. You know, thing ha something, a, a pleasure has to, is good in and of itself. God gives them to us to be enjoyed, but we have for them to become sinful. It's when you use them in a manner in which he didn't want you to use them. And the reason that he doesn't want you to use them that way is because, quite frankly, it's dangerous, mm -hmm. right? Either to yourself or to your relationship with the Lord or to somebody else. That's a really interesting way to, that was when I kind of occurred to me a while ago that, you know, God is not just a, a God who just doesn't want us to have any fun. He's, he's more like, you know, why don't you try not doing it this way and doing it this way because this is the way that's actually going to give you joy, pleasure that gives you joy, but in a way which is actually ultimately satisfying. And conducive to your, and to your own betterment, right? That's I right. mean, you know, that's, that's something that's interesting. We don't, you know, and, and we have a self-mortification as an old term, right? We don't use much more, right? We but never hear that one either. No, you don't. But, you know, this idea of Christian self-denial, we don't, we don't deny ourselves things because the world is bad. Like, you know, it, we don't deny us, ourselves material things because material things are bad in themselves. Right. It's just so that we can keep that proper attachment and that proper alignment to them. You know, I mean, there are all sorts of ascetics and people who will deny themselves things because they got this idea, this, you know, mind-body dualism or soul-body dualism, Right. right? where your soul is all spiritual stuff is good and your body and everything earthly is bad, but that's just not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Um, no. You know, we don't, yeah, it's just engaging with things in an appropriate way, right? So. Yeah, appropriate meaning the way that God designed them to be used. Yeah. And, that's, and when you go off that path, and we all do it in different ways, you know, it, that's when you get yourself into trouble, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So. Um, and then the final point here, and any, any comments or anything? Uh, the final point here, I thought this was a cool image. He says, he's talking about, he kind of flips back to in paragraph one, two, three here, three or four, about uh, going back to the woman's, the woman's house and her household and the family in which she lives. And <laughs> Screwtape is describing the house in which she lives is one that you ha he ought never have entered, the patient. And this is, this is a quote here. The whole place reeks of that deadly odor. I love this. Mm. The, very, the very gardener, though he has only been there five years, is beginning to acquire it. What does that mean? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but I do think it means something along the lines of, you know, holiness is something which, you know, Christian, Christians believe that places, people, places and things can be holy, right? And so you, I've, I've been in buildings before where I feel, wow, this, place, this is a holy place. I've been in places before, I'm like, man, get me out of here. Something, this bad juju, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. And the, the idea being here that in a Christian household, again, if you're in the household, you typically don't feel it, but people, when they come into it, can feel the peace and the joy. And it's sort of like this thing which, it's just a fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know? What the do you think Holy of that? The Holy Spirit's key. That's right. Because, uh, That's exactly right. You know, there's so many... There, uh, there's so many texts in Scripture that talk about the Holy Spirit being the spirit of adoption. Right. right? Through the Holy Spirit, we're adopted into the household of God. Uh, Ephesians 2.19 on, on the question sheet, you know. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The only times that New Testament ever uses the terms brothers or sisters or family refers to Christians. That's right. You know, and... and, and, and it's interesting because as long, you know you can see this in people who have been adopted. I've got a friend of mine who um, 
you know, has a daughter who's adopted out of a very difficult situation, and it took a long, a long time, and it's, you know, it's never going to be perfectly easy, but the traits and the characters and the attitudes and the ways that she's changed through this process mm-hmm. just by being part of the family, and that's, that's what right. the Holy Spirit does is connects us to God in that same manner. That's exactly right. You know, you, you learn... You learn very quickly that each household has their different way of operating as soon as you get married, right? And you're like, well, we do things differently. And, you know, and, and I've learned a lot from my in-laws about really great ways of living. But that's, you know, that's, it's a family trait mm-hmm. because you've been brought into the household. Mm-hmm. And so I think, that's a, I think that's a big thing for us to remember is that connection. And it's a really awesome thing, too, when somebody comes outside as a non-Christian or a nominal Christian or whatever, and they come into a Christian environment, whether it's in a church or something like this or your home or whatever, and they just feel comfortable and at peace. And it's like, and I don't mean welcomed in this sort of like cultural sense, but just like, this, this is good. I like being here. I enjoy these people. They're actually sincere and honest and kind. And these are the kind of people I want to be around because they're actually cool. And they're, they're not, you know, haughty. They're not prideful. They're not judgmental. They're actually, they're actually just, just like me, but they have this other thing, this gift of the Holy Spirit that permeates their lives. And people can feel it. I've, when I first became a Christian, I could feel it amongst people that I enjoyed. I'd met Christians before that I didn't like very much because they were crabby and judgmental, right? Mm. And finger pointy. And that, doesn't, that never gets you anywhere. Mm. But if you are around people that are, uh, you know, just kind and patient and full of the Holy Spirit, you can feel it. You know, people come, people come to this church all the time and say that about, they're like, man, that, that parish is such a great group. They do. People come here to that parish, it's just so welcoming. And again, I don't mean in the sort of the, the programmatic sort of um, marketing perspective I don't, at all. It's just sincere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't fake that. You know, you can't fake it. Mm-hmm. So Maren's talking about uh, the fact that within a household, you can, you, there's like this palpable feeling of, um, I guess, the peace or presence of the spirit when everybody is kind of, it would, but I guess God, you know, God is invited in and welcomed in, in um, present the way that people are living. And once it's gone, it's, it can be a difficult thing in some people's experience to recover that. So, yeah. Um, but speaking of not faking it, here's my transition to chapter 23. Ah, all right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, thought, I just thought, it was, again, it's the smallest side, and I always focus on the not main points. But, uh, you know, that quote, uh, when Screwtape's talking to him, and he's to Worm when he says, you no chapter, doubt. You're in 23? Yeah, chapter 23. All right. No doubt you have often practiced transforming yourself into an angel of light as a parade ground exercise. And there's that concept again of like of faking it, right? Trying to mm. put on some kind of appearance, right? Uh, was it Lucifer means light bringer, right? Sure does. Comes to dress as an angel of light. Um, you know, uh, uh, that's Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse fifteen, uh, verse fourteen. Paul's writing. He says, "And no wonder for e-, he's talking about um, wolves coming in dressed in sheep's clothing, for example." Right. And he says, "And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an, an angel, angel of light." Of light. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about. You know, and then he goes on to say, uh, their end will correspond to their deeds, which is ominous, but a promise of justice. Mm-hmm. And I just think about that. You know, you see on the televangelist, for example, you know, there's that a guy, Jesse Duplantis, who was uh, seeking uh, $54 million for a private jet. Oh. Because it, was his, it wasn't his first, I think it was like his fourth jet, but God told him specifically that that's the jet that he needed to He told have. me that too, and I still don't have yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've been waiting for that one. I'm waiting, man. You know, uh, Kenneth Copeland, you know, he was the one who said, um, <laughs> he was the one, I think, he's, I think he was the one that was trying to just, they, they got together, I guess, into the, 
sad and entertaining segment, um, if you could look it up, about justifying why they keep asking for these jets. And one of them's like, well, you know, if I got on a public plane, the demons just come flying at me, and I, you know, and mm. I just got to bat them away. And you're just like, so, you know, again, dressed as an angel of light. And it's interesting because even when, I think it was John Oliver did a special on them, people flooded their Facebook pages with, you know, like, you guys are criminals, you're crooks, you're just pretending. Um, and so many people defended them that had been donating. Well, of course. You know, and it's just, it's heartbreaking to, it's heartbreaking to see it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, but, but there's all sorts, so that's like kind of the big bads, right? Mm-hmm. But there's all sorts of ways that people, um, I love your example of like prayer group gossips, you know? Oh, yeah. That's another way of disguising yourself as trying to do something well, but, you know, you've got nefarious motives. Motives, yeah. Right? Um, it's when you pray for somebody and, it, and the prayer is, you know, Lord God, I pray for Father Gritter and his alcohol problem, right? <laughs> Whatever the thing might be, you know, and then I pray, Lord, that you would make him more patient with. Yeah. Yeah. That's kitties and puppies or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just not. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all over the place. You know, the best selling would the best selling would be prophets that use like, you know, the secret codes in scripture. And, you know, and it's just, you know, to sell it to be best sellers. And and it's just there's so many places where people try to put on those appearances. But, Mm. um, you know, you pray the Holy Spirit gives discernment because that stuff can be a trap. Mm hmm. Anyway, let me go ahead and read the read the overview here. Any, any questions or comments, well, Marilyn? Okay. I don't, that's a very good. That's a that's a legal question. How would? Absolutely. Well, you're the judge, man. Throw the book at him. Well, that's Marilyn makes a good point. How can we? How can you have these Christian hypocrites, right? Essentially, uh, on TV, preaching the gospel. Well, preaching a gospel, right? And leading people as preaching something. Preaching yeah. something. A, go, a gospel of some variety. Yeah. What happens is, or right, once that water comes in, you're going to be getting. That's the only way. They can keep it going. You're going to stay in business. That's a really good point. Let me, let me segue into the letter 23 of my, my outline here, then let's dive into it, and then we can, mm. we can wrap up in a few minutes. Uh, letter 23 Screwtape is concerned that the patient is coming to meet more Christians every day, and quote, very intelligent Christians, too. That's mm-hmm. a great quote. The task then is to corrupt, pervert this new faith into something useful to hell. The area of politics can be one avenue, especially the realm of Christian politics and the historical Jesus movement. We'll talk about that in a minute. This can be used to create a Jesus of one's own making, i.e. a Marxist concept of Jesus as the radical revolutionary, or there's lots of examples. Screwtape says, quote, we must direct men's minds from who he is and what he did. The earliest converts were converted by the historical fact of the resurrection and the doctrine of redemption. This is an cool, interesting thing he says here. The gospel came later, not to, quote, make Christians, but to edify Christians already made. That's a pretty cool, I never, just never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. He's right historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea here is that um, the historical Jesus movement, if you don't know what that is, was a movement in the early 20th century, it still kind of lingers in different forms today, of people saying, well, scripture's corrupted, right? So what's in the Bible is, can't, can't possibly be true. So who's the real Jesus? And, Every Christmas and Easter, if you go to the grocery store, you'll see, or you watch TV, the real, who is the real Jesus, right? And of course, the real Jesus always looks like the person you want him to look like, depending upon your political, you know, social uh, party. And so um, what Lewis is saying is, Screwtape is saying, we've got to always make these people trying to make Jesus in their own image, trying to find this historical Jesus. And what he says, we know, the thing we don't want them to do is think about who he was and who, what he did. In other words, 
Don't let him ever just go back to the text and go, you know, maybe that's really the who this guy is in the first place. One of the things that in seminary that I learned, I'll give you and I'll let you comment. Sure. In seminary, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at the historical reliability of the scriptural text. A lot of people, dismi- Dan Brown and all that stuff, people dismiss the historical the texts as corrupted, right? That they, the Bible we have now is not the original, is, is been changed over millennia and is not reliable. That is historically not true. We know for a fact, a fact, that the scriptures we have are consistent with the very earliest uh, texts that we had in the, third cent- in the first century, in 30 and 40 AD. There's been no change. And so the presumption that the scriptures have been corrupted over time is just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, Islam is based on that very premise, actually. That's another whole thread. But the idea that scriptures can't be trusted as historically reliable is, is falsifiable historically. Mm-hmm. Right? The scriptures are uh, historically reliable. Now, whether they, are, whether they are accurate is another matter. That You can always question that. But the fa- they've not been changed over time. So, mm-hmm. you have a comment on that? No, no, I, I think okay. you're absolutely right. Yeah, and a lot of people that are not in churches or not in Bible-believing churches or not in that kind of chew on this stuff don't realize that you, know, you don't need to be, you don't need to defend Christianity on historical grounds. It's, it's defensible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Sorry? Right, right. And that's a good point. The Jesus Seminar, which is sort of in the where are they now file. Now, I've never heard yeah. about them in a long time, but they're they wanting... They did their damage. They did their damage, yeah. But it's, there's been people repeating over history, people that have done this, and uh, they basically take what is historical and say, well, this can't possibly be true. What's the, who's the real Jesus, right? And then surprisingly, not surprisingly, the real Jesus tends to look like the very people that are asking the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good point. Just enough to plant the doubt, and, uh, and that's why we're here to remind people that you don't need to doubt it. You can, if you, you know, it's kind of a funny thing. If people come at it and say, the Bible can't be true, you know, Jesus could not have possibly raised from the dead. They say that, I refuse to believe that that's true. Then they've got to come up with another explanation. But the, the bigger question is, well, maybe it is true. <laughs> and if, you know, let's follow that rabbit, let's follow the, follow the facts. And um, anyway, need a comment? No, I just, I think... Mm-hmm. I was laughing earlier because the uh, the new Jesus that, they, that you know they were putting together whenever this was written, what '60s or something like that, whenever this was written, um, you know this this idea of a Marxian catastrophic and revolutionary Jesus. I was laughing because a lot of my friends who I was uh, in church with in youth are now you know it's very much in vogue right now to be a Christian Marxist as if that was a real thing, and so you don't mind I'm going to go. No, no, no. I, I find that completely. Having a, I was, I, I lived through the whole Ronald Reagan tear down this wall yeah. and all that. You, of course, weren't even, weren't even born yet. Barely. Barely. But the idea of being, the fact that that's all sort of coming around again to me is astounding. So, yeah, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, do you mind if I go, because nope. I want to go on, a, um, on an excursus on this for a second. <laughs> Perfect. Um, because I really, I really looked into it and I was like, how do people do, because I have a really good friend of mine, a formerly good friend of mine, um, we haven't talked in a long time, but who's brilliant, but still, still, you know, like holds to this stuff. And so... It's interesting because I was like, okay, so how do they line up and how don't they line up? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking specifically about Marxism and revolutionary stuff because there was also that article in the Times called We Are Christianity that came out this week where it was another person in that article said that he was a Christian, you know, he was always drawn to being a revolutionary, so now he's a Marxist Christian. But here's how those things are not compatible. Okay. Um, you know, Marx believed that people were basically socially constructed beings in blank slates 
except for their social class, and the group identity is paramount, right? Like you are just your group, and so one person can speak for the group, right. and they all, you all have the same opinions. Okay, um, but you know, Christianity, you're fundamentally an individual, and your nature isn't coming from your social class, it's given to you by God, right. and you're responsible to God. And you know, you see these different uh, socioeconomic classes coming together, uh, you know, and there are warnings, right? Like warnings That's in right. James about, you know, be careful for the rich. You know, like there's, there's warnings to make sure that the poor come to the table, but it, they're not, Scripture's not putting people against each other. They're like, you're all part of the same family, the same household. Right. So learn how to live in the same household. You know, it's not a respect. We don't look at things materially. So it, it's, there's not this, you know, encouragement to, to who's in and out based on those factors. It just doesn't exist. Right. You know, racial factors doesn't exist in Christianity. You know, um, you know, women versus men being, you know, not in the same worshiping together. I mean, that's not, that doesn't exist. Right. So that's a fallacy. Um, another one is, you know, Marx had this, you know, he's a materialist, right? So he believed that if you just made everybody, if you just equalized economic status, then utopia would arrive. As long as we all made the same, we'd all get along and everything would be happy. But Christianity, we know that we're not satisfied by material things. Mm. And that played out, right? I mean, they tried, they tried the best to equalize. It didn't, the Ukrainians did not work out for them. It did not work um, out for them. But, you know, but at the same time, like, like that's, we don't believe that material things make us satisfied. Right. Uh, that's not where we get our happiness. And so there's, there's just, I'll be here a couple more because I could go on forever and I'm not going to do that. Um, but, you know, he believed that the overthrow of the upper class was morally demanded and that required a bloody revolution. Christianity, you didn't see Jesus, you know, preaching an overthrow of the rulers or an overthrow of the oppressors or an overthrow of whatever class that was. He was like, you know, take your responsibility, care for, care for the poor that are among you. Mm -hmm. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Mm -hmm. Pray for those who persecute you. Right. You know, it's totally... And, it's endure, even, and endure it willingly. Endure it willingly. It's not even, you know, different. It's antithetical. Yeah. And that's what's so... And so that's what's so bizarre to me. Um, there's no... Yeah, it's just... We could go on and on. But even, even you know... Angles, uh, right? It kind of Marx's buddy said, uh, he said, if some passages of the Bible may be favorable to communism, the general spirit of its doctrine is nevertheless totally opposed to it. Mm. So, you know, out of the horse's mouth. It's just, but, but that's how these things work. If you, make, you want to make Jesus a mascot for whatever cause you want to champion, pick and choose what parts of that's it, exactly right. you know, follow along with that. That's why the other day when we're talking about being careful about saying, what Jesus would say in the situation. What did Jesus do? Not what would yeah, he do? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It just goes. It just ties back into that. Yeah. So anyway, it just. It I is kind of. It is fascinating. We're talking about you know Marxism. Now. Yeah. But you know the identity politics, which we're going through right now, right? People are put into based upon race, gender, orientation, all these different things. People get put in these categories, and they're and they're and then and someone throws the bomb in to sort of stir up this strife amongst people based upon these categories they get placed in. It's astounding to me. And, and Christians, of course, have always been, you know, people that you can be all different varieties of people, all different sorts and can all different sorts, sorts and conditions of men, yeah. the old the old prayer book used to say. And they all come together as a, as one body in Christ. It's the complete opposite of this Marxist sort of conflict mentality. Yeah, that unity is so important because in this yeah. identity politics thing, you know, it's like I can't it's like our experiences are so different, whether you're a man or a woman or different race or whatever, that I can't communicate with you because you can't understand where I'm coming from. And that shuts down Everything. any unity right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and it's just so, it's just, 
I mean, we could probably rant about this stuff all day, but it's just poisonous, we you know? Could. So, anyway. And it's rooted back to pride. My, my, so her point is, your, my plague is elevated over yours, and that's just pride. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the idea, too, that you, know, uh, you, you wouldn't understand this because you're not in that group, that's absurd. I mean, I think. I mean, obviously, I can't understand. I, I, I've never lived. I mean, I've got my own demographic and so forth. But to say that I can't sympathize or be compassionate towards somebody whose circumstances might be very different from mine, admittedly, but to say that I can't be compassionate or sympathetic or understand the dynamics of them because of I'm not the same color, to me that's just astounding. It's a lie. You know, I've always thought it's kind of funny. My last name is Rodriguez. I am not Latino, obviously. I'm, I'm the fairest of Basque, yeah. But a lot of people like, people say to me, well, you know, <laughs> people have said to me a couple of things. Rodriguez, where'd you get that name? And I say, I say you know, I got it from my dad. <laughs> Anyway, whatever. It's fun, you know, but, but the idea is to, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm particularly, um, that bothers me particularly because I, you know, people will assume things about me, given my last name, or who I should be, which is okay. I mean, it's just stereotyping. I I'm, I'm get it. But to be able to say that I can't appreciate you because of our demographic or socioeconomic difference, I think is just absurd. But anyway, you, someone else had a comment? Yeah. And the whole point of us being different, there is right, that. in Corinthians, about being members of the body. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, I agree. Which goes back to what we were talk- C.S. Lewis and we were talking about, about the beauty of parish churches or churches about an area, because it's like, you know, right. you're going you're to bring all sorts of people together and learn how to love and learn how to work together. Right. You know, where a self-selection, which you know is a, is a regular thing, just yes. would not have that happen. And, and, you know, just like God decided, yeah. I, th- I just think it's an amazing. It's just an, it's just an amazing thing. Yeah, churches are in in a lot of ways unique. I mean, a lot unique because they have the indwelling presence of God within them. But the one cool thing about churches, well, one of many things, is that they're not drawn together by by uh, most of the clubs and if you want to look at it, our affiliations we have are based upon uh, a personal identity with something, or we have the same same kind of demographic. Churches are meant to be when they're done right and well are not based upon anything other than people that just love God, and they can be of all different sorts and conditions of men. Mm-hmm. You know. What was the term you used last week? The exclusive inclusivity. The inclusive exclusivity. The inclusive inclusivity. As in my sermon, well, yeah. 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 So. That's what it really is. That's what it is. All right, I think we're about wrapped up. Any other comments, questions? Um, funny memes? Always well, funny memes. Your husband is the is the master of funny, yeah. funny emojis. That's a that's a what is, that's not an emoji. That's a uh, the gif. Yeah, ah, yeah. Yes, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We're both hip to the jive. We know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You wanna you wanna close this up in prayer? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. All right. Only we thank you for this opportunity to gather together um, as a body, even if it's uh, online. We thank you for the spiritual connection that you provide between all of us through the Holy Spirit. God, I do want to pray. I do want to just uh, pray that you would bring us together in wholeness soon and that you would continue to work to heal our nation. Mm. And I also pray that you would have uh, these words and your truths that would come out of C.S. Lewis uh, stick to our hearts and have those be things that we uh, dwell on and work within us as we seek to be continually transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Mm. And to your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week, uh, 24, 25, and 26. Same time, same channel.